Hello, welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan, how's it going? It's going well, Amy, and uh, football is back. It is. It is indeed. It's been uh, it's been back in this house for the last week, and everyone is very happy. Yep, yep, yeah. Sorry, but the um the the sadness returned to the uh. Right. There was a, there was a lot night. of sadness. Yes. So, uh, so Keith and Mary were at the Clemson, Georgia game. And so that was not, not a super easy evening for them. And I was home, Drew and I were, were here and I was, fo- I was watching, we, we went to the movies, but then I got back and we were, wa- I watched the second half of the game and that was sad. And then also was tracking my team, which is the team of sadness Vanderbilt. Ooh, yikes. And they they had a pretty rough night on let's, Saturday. Let's pray as for well. Amy, y'all. Wow. So, woof. Yeah. So we're uh, at it again this weekend. Everybody. It's is, just a bad weekend all around for the the SBC this week podcast team and family. Let's just put yes. it that way. Yes. So, because my team lost, my alma mater lost. I mean, it was just not a good weekend. So we'll we'll just uh, we'll move on uh, football. So we'll just talk NFL. How about that? Titans. They're going to be good. So we'll, <laughs> we'll be excited about. It, or at least we think they will be. We'll see. So, um, yeah, but let, yeah, we can move away from football, Amy, if you want. We can go and talk about Sweet Thirty One Baking Company again. I think everybody is. Uh, we've we've talked about that a whole lot, so okay. I think we're I think we're fine. But we we still obviously are very supportive of what they're doing. So yes, obviously. So, Amy, before we get into this week's podcast, we do want to thank our sponsors each and every week here on SBC This Week. That's Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Fall Preview Day is the perfect time to explore everything a college has to offer. So, Texas Baptist College, the undergraduate experience at Southwestern Seminary, is excited to welcome new students to campus for Fall Preview Day on October 22nd. Students will have a chance to check out the campus, meet their professors, and talk to fellow students about the Texas Baptist College experience. You can visit texasbaptist.com slash preview to learn more and register for Fall Preview Day at Texas Baptist College. There's also a a preview day for Southwestern Seminary that day, so if you're interested in seminary, you can check that out as well. But uh, the new college brand over there at Southwestern Seminary, Texas Baptist College. So thanks again to those guys and gals for sponsoring us each and every week here on the podcast. Going to see them in a couple weeks. And also, big shout out, friend of the pod, Colby Adams and his wife, Amanda. Um, they're having a baby in about half an hour. So, yes. So by the time this she's posts, they will have. Right. I'm going to give her all this, the credit here. Yes. By the time this is online and people are listening, they will have a baby. Yes. So very exciting. So congratulations to the Adamses over at Southwestern on uh, their baby and uh, excited for them. So uh, if you know them, give them a shout out and uh, wishing them all the best as uh, they welcome a new baby into the family. So, all right, Amy, we got some big news this week. We'll start with the IMB where they updated their vaccine requirements in wake of the COVID-19 global pandemic. Yeah. So this was a big announcement this week, obviously coming on the backdrop of a lot of news conversations about the vaccine and uh, essentially what the IMB announced was that they they're enacting a policy for field personnel and staff members. And so it's really trying to deal with how difficult overseas life can can be and, ha- and travel requirements, things like that. So what it's at, what it's requiring is that IMB missionaries and their children 16 and older are to be vaccinated against COVID-19 before they attend field personnel orientation. 
And then, uh, and then IMB missionaries and their children at 16 and older are to be vaccinated before they attend stateside conference. And so there are just requirements in all different parts of the world. They vary, you know, by each country Mm -hmm. and some of them require, uh, you know, if you go on a train, if you do this. And so what they just felt like was, was best was instead of trying to figure this all out, depending on where people go, what people do, that it's good to just do this, remove this barrier. With 3,700 missionaries, 2,600 children, more than six to 7,000 personnel across the world, it's just easier to have a blanket policy than try to keep track of Joe and Lucy and where they are and what they're doing. Right. And this, and this isn't new that they've had a number of uh, vaccine requirements. They require vaccines for all kinds of reasons for other, uh, uh, other things. Mm -hmm. So what they're doing is just trying to follow a lot of the recommendations. Obviously the Pfizer vaccine has been uh, FDA approved. And so, so they're just trying to make the best decisions possible when it comes to volunteers for short-term trips Obviously, they can't. There's no requirement there, but they are encouraging volunteers to follow recommendations and requirements of hosting countries. So, yes, absolutely. So, very similar to what the military. I mean, it's it's a very similar when you think about overseas to travel, the all the stuff that it entails. It's very similar to that. The military is also doing this, so very similar to that. So, we wish them the best in that, and uh, really appreciate the missiological heart behind all of it as well. So, uh, you know, the the this allows them to stay in the countries that we're in, a lot of them, and maintain that access to spread the gospel around the world. So uh, appreciate the leadership of Paul Chitwood on that, and uh, we'll kind of keep an eye on anything that may develop. All right, Amy, we got some news from the Sex Abuse Task Force that was appointed by President Ed Litton this week. They announced that Guidepost Solutions will handle the independent third-party review of the executive committee. That's right. So that that came out on September 9th, so just, you know, right before we are recording. Why the the reason they selected Guidepost was because of their extensive background in abuse, trauma and abusive dynamics with considerable background involving abuse in religious contexts, significant experience with corporate and legal dynamics which contribute to the mishandling of or proper responses to sexual abuse, survivor care and abuse prevention. And Guidepost's robust understanding of and focus on the impact of leadership with significant skill assessing and reporting on cultural dynamics of an institution and their impacts on abuse and abuse prevention. And so this was unanimous by the task force. They felt like Guidepost Solutions would be the best, uh, the best firm to handle this. So this is kind of a next step in the process. So just kind of think, think through where we are. The messengers had, in response to a number of things leading up to the annual meeting, we've talked about that, the messenger said, we want an independent review, but we want to have a group that is kind of like the middleman. And so there was already a review sort of beginning where the guidepost had been retained for something, but it had a specific scope. It had, you know, it, it was being retained by the executive committee and the messenger said, we want a group and that, that handles that a neutral group. So they asked the, the incoming president who, when the motion was made, we didn't know who that was, but it, it is Ed Litton to name that task force. He did that. Now the task force's job was to retain the group. They have done that. 
And so now we moved to the next step. Uh, and there was a, a different scope that was described in the, uh, in the motion. So now the task force has done that. Now it kind of moves to the next step. Now there were some questions that were asked of the executive committee. The executive committee meets, you know, really soon and yeah. just a cu- couple of weeks here. And so there may, there are going to be some things that they will have to, to consider and respond to, but uh, it, we're moving the ball down the field on this. this. This was the motion that was most talked about coming out of the annual meeting. And so now guidepost is retained again uh, for a little bit of a bigger scope. And then we'll see sort of what happens. Yeah. So if you're wanting the details on that, there's a link at the bottom of the Baptist Press story to the letter of agreement. I would encourage you to check that out and read that because it has a lot more of the details for the actual scope, what guidepost will be actually doing, what they're looking for, and a lot of the best practices that they list out. So uh, that that's helpful. Yes, there's been a lot of discussion on social media about this, as often happens, but probably one that I thought probably slipped under the radar for people, but I think was important, was that it said, everyone needs to remember this is guidepost, not guidestone. So Keep that in mind, but I should have a jar on my desk for the number of times you know you know put a dollar in the jar every time you say guidestone instead of guidepost. Right, because right. It, it happens is not, quite frequently. It is, this is an external review. It is guidepost solutions. But yeah, and I think one thing that's important when these reviews get announced is what you just said. Publishing the agreement with them is very important. So then you really get to see all the things that will be covered. And that is the first step in transparency really is, is getting to see that agreement with guideposts. And so that will be that that's available. Yeah. All right. So you can check that out over at Baptist press, Amy, it's the first of the month. You know what that means? CP. That's right. I got good news, Amy. Let's I hear got it. Really good news. $16.9 million given in the month of August. We have one month left in this year's cooperative program budget year, the fiscal year. And we are, get this, Amy, we are seven Point six million dollars above budget projections for the year. Four point four percent above budget right now. Okay, that's a pretty big deal. I, I mean, like, think about this. We we went through a pandemic last year, had no idea what giving would be like this year, and I every church I talk to, it seems my church I know is. I'm not sure how the summit is where you are, but we're all above budget. Everybody's above budget. Everybody kind of thought giving would be off a little bit longer. We have rebounded quicker than I think any of us expected financially after the pandemic. That's really great. And yeah, I think it was, there was a lot that we were concerned about everyone globally. Mm-hmm. And there certainly are still some major things that yeah. that a lot of folks are dealing with, mm-hmm. but it is not what we thought it might've been. There have been a lot of challenges that, and that's for sure. But the the utter collapse that I think many of the the doomsdayers had predicted uh, did not happen. So that's good news on that front. And Amy, uh, another thing that to look at in this report too is the designated giving and the rebound for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. So um, that has rebounded. I mean, we talked about that last year, how far down that was because of just the timing of everything. Uh, really right. unfortunate, but uh, a great offering last year, nonetheless regardless of the size of the offering, but this year has rebounded and is poised to be another record year. We'll find out more about that. I'll actually be there when they announce the total in Pittsburgh at the 1st of October at the NAM board meeting. So I'll be up in uh, Pittsburgh for that, going up there, going to do some Baptist press coverage of that. So uh, that's going to be exciting, and it'll be uh, good to 
see and hear that total whenever that is given. So uh, again, just a few weeks left in the budget year, cooperative program giving way above budget, which is fantastic news for us here. You should you should record the announcement of that, the unveiling of that, so that you. Well, can I'm going to be there. I might just do it. that. I might just yeah, do that. so that you can post it. Ask them. Say, can I? Can we record the unveiling of the amount? All right. Well, I'm, I may do that. So that'll be that'll be exciting. And then I could play the audio here on the podcast, or play the video on the podcast. How? No, that won't work. Okay. All right. Well, hey, some other news. The IMB announced this week that they are going to celebrate a Hispanic Mission Sunday on September 26th. Yeah, so this is part of National Hispanic Heritage Month, which runs September 15th to October 15th. So it's a little bit different than when we think of it a a full month. Uh, This is kind of runs mid to to mid. And so they're going to have September 26th to be Hispanic Missions Sunday. And asking churches to recognize the accomplishments and contributions of Hispanic churches and Hispanic IMB missionaries that are taking the gospel to the nation. So there are Hispanic missionaries serving all, all around the world among unreached people groups. And so it's an opportunity to sort of mobilize. We have a number of Hispanic churches here. You know, at Summit Church, we have a, uh, a campus, Summit in Espanol. And so there are, are churches with campuses and then there are just Hispanic churches everywhere. And so it's an, it's a time to, to honor them and encourage them for what they have done for missions. So here's Oscar Tortolero, the Hispanic church mobilization strategist with the IMB with more information on Hispanic missions Sunday. My name is Oscar Tortolero. I'm the Hispanic church mobilization strategist with the IMB. In the U.S., we celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month from September 15th to October 15th. In recognition of the accomplishment and contributions of Hispanic churches and Hispanic IMB missionaries in taking the gospel to the nations, we want to recognize Sunday, September 26th as Hispanic Mission Sunday. The IMB has Hispanic missionaries serving among unreached peoples around the world. And we have a great opportunity to mobilize all 3,500 Hispanic churches to pray, to give, to go, and to send. We also want to encourage you to share the stories of missionaries that you see in this page. Let us continue advancing God's kingdom together. So that's really cool to see that from the IMB. Thanks again for them for putting that out and giving us some uh, audio there with the uh, from the video that they put out. So that's available English Spanish resources all over the place over there at IMB. You can find out more in the show notes. Amy, some great news from New Orleans. New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and Level College are open for business again. They are back open. The electricity is on and coming back along with the rest of the city. So this was really great news. They announced the reopening of their campus on Tuesday because it's been it's been closed to anybody living on campus. And, you know, remember, this is different than uh, a lot of our seminary campuses where they have housing for so many people. Yeah. I mean, it's not just students, but it's faculty, staff. They have a ton of stuff on on that campus. So they, when power is out, they really can't be there. And, uh, and so they finally got full power late in the day on September 6th. The facilities crews checked every campus residence, made sure there was not anything, um, you know, anything amiss there. And 
after they assessed them, Jamie do got to announce, come on back. And so I actually got to talk to Tara on her way when she was on her way back to new Orleans, because she and, and their kids have been just out waiting with everybody else. They've been evacuated, kind of moving from place to place. And so she said they were so excited to be on their way back. Um, and then I saw where she posted on social media that as she and the kids were back into town, they ended up on the interstate or highway, whatever, driving right behind a NAM send relief truck. Hey, that's and awesome. so that was kind of cool. They're like, we followed the send relief truck into town, but it's very exciting. They're glad to be back there and uh, to get going again. He reminded them, hey, fill up with gas, get groceries, do all these things on your way back in that even though, you know, power is back, they're still, still slow getting kind of basic things. Yeah going in the city, but they're excited to bring everybody home. And now they can be mobilized to help others in the area. Yeah. So basically the, the power's back, but if you want groceries, you got to go to Mandeville. So <laughs> <laughs> get up there. Uh, not really, but uh, it, it kind of probably close. Uh, I, I know that it takes a while for all the, the logistics systems to get back online for everything in a city like that after one of those. And right. I do want to be praying for not just our friends in New Orleans, but everybody uh, down the Grand Isle area, Terrebonne Parish, uh, Vermilion Parish, uh, those areas uh, just really, really devastated by Hurricane Ida. Uh, Bryant Wright and President Ed Litton were in the North Shore area and I think the New Orleans area as well last weekend. I got a text from Kathy Litton that she was in Ponchatoula at that time. Uh, they were in my hometown. So uh, she she heard us. I think heard us talking about it on the podcast. She texted me the other day, said that they were just there. So uh, thank you all for, for checking that out and, and really, you know, encouraging our DR workers. They've served like thousands and thousands and thousands of meals. Our disaster relief workers have. And, uh, you know, more than 70, I think almost 80 Churches have been damaged. Uh, Southern Baptist churches have been damaged in the Louisiana area. So that's just Louisiana. I'm sure some in Mississippi had some damage as well down in um, uh, those areas uh, just north of the uh, the border, you know, that Mississippi kind of hangs over into, uh, you know, right next to Louisiana. So a lot of churches down there feeling the brunt of Ida's wrath and uh, recovering and uh, want to continue to pray, continue to give, continue to go if you can uh, and help out with sin relief and Southern Baptist disaster relief as our friends in Louisiana recover from what was a massive hurricane. All right, last thing, Amy, some fun news to end this on. Story by Aaron Earls this week. COVID-19 causes church to change its name. I don't know that this is fun news. This is not fun for that church. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a cute story. It's a good it, story. It, it definitely caught everyone's attention. So there's a church. Well, I Rock like the Hills. new name better than the old name. Yes, anyway. in, in Rock Hill, South Carolina. It's called Stony Fork Community Church because but that's what was the it area known before outbreak church. Yeah, not going to work out whenever you have a pandemic, I guess. Right. It was a great idea in 2013. They wanted their identifying characteristic to be this idea that their faith essentially was contagious, said it would be like an outbreak. So they called it Outbreak Church. It wasn't just about the name; it was the full branding. Yeah, it, they, it, they entire, that, it says, I love this quote, we based our entire DNA around pandemic and epidemic verbiage. That's we right. We talked about, quote, you're the point source of the gospel, infect others with the gospel of grace. And they right. even had They're, churches, uh, they even had t-shirts and bracelets with the phrase, are you contagious? Are you contagious? Yeah. And then their slogans, 
you know, were, had, have you been infected? Things like that. Um, and then their logo was a cross coming out of a hazmat symbol. So it wasn't just Outbreak Church. The name, it was, it was the, the whole entire, it was the entire branding strategy was on this idea of infecting everyone with, uh, the with gospel. our faith. Yeah. yeah. It, I Which, love this quote. It says, that was hip and cool until COVID hit. Right. And so, you know, it said our name wasn't an issue with the congregation, but we realized it was an issue with the community. Absolutely. This is one of those things where, you know, things change around and all of a sudden it it doesn't sound so great anymore. So they have started the process of the name change. Stony Fork Creek runs uh, along the church's property. And so they said, all right, we're going to call it Stony Fork community church. I think they're, it's a several year process. They've got to wait, you know, on the IRS, things like that to make it official, but they've already started implementing the name change, calling it that they said that members are very excited and uh, they've also seen a positive response in the community that when they put the signs up with the new name, they actually have had people come and visit. So they said, we're the same people with the same passion and the same purpose but a different name. Yes. This reminds me of a conversation I had on the Revitalize and Replant podcast with Mark Clifton and Tom Rayner a while back. Like when we first started doing that, Mark was talking about church names and what are you renaming? You know, he said that he, he was a pastor, a replant pastor at Warnell Road Baptist Church in the Kansas City area and said he got there and, you know, wanted to do this great new fun name or whatever it was. I don't remember even what the name was, but, you know, we're going to be whatever church. And he put up, you know, this banner, put it over the old sign and everything. And then he looks up, he gets, you know, gets done. He looks up at the facade of the church and carved in the stone of the church up there above the entrance, Warnell Road Baptist Church. And he's like, I don't know what I was trying to do, but we just kind of scrapped that whole idea and just stuck with the name because it's like the place that people understand. They, they identified with a place. And he, he always right. talked about how. It's a, often a lot better just to identify with a place and be the place, the church for a place, a church for a people, instead of some neat or trendy name or something like that. So this this reminds me a lot of that. Yeah. Well, it reminds me, our church in Louisville um, was Ninth and O Baptist Church, is Ninth and O Baptist Church still, because it was at the corner of Ninth Street and O Street. And then actually the street names changed at one point, but it was so known with name recognition that they stayed. Then the church actually moved across town and is now at the corner of Breckenridge and maybe Bardstown or something like that. I can't remember. It doesn't roll off the tongue like ninth and O. Right. But it was so at that stage, it was so known in the community that they just kept the name. So it's ninth and O, but it's at a different spot. Um, But Using the location is not bad. I mean, it, no. it gives people know people know who the church is. So yeah. it, it says the guy who goes to Forest Hills Baptist Church, which is right in Forest Hills area of Nashville. Right. So of course I'm at the summit, but the summit's all over the triangle. So formerly known as Homestead Heights, which was in the Homestead, Homestead Heights. Heights area. Area, yes. Yeah. But is now across the whole, tri- yes. whole triangle. It, yeah, so. it, it's a little different whenever you have multi-site and you're across an entire right. region. And it's like, well, Homestead Heights campus in 
another area and it just doesn't quite work out. So that's right. I know a lot of first Baptist churches that go multi-site have that issue sometimes because they'll have a campus in another hard to be first Baptist Pleasantville whenever you have campuses in Pleasantville and Campbellsville because that gets confusing or something like that's that. That's right. So that's I'm right. I'm just making yep. up town names now. All right. But yeah, fun story. Aaron Earls, well done, man. A uh, good friend of the pod there and uh, one of our friends over at Lifeway, former co-worker of mine, and uh, just a fantastic job with that story and uh, really enjoyed that. So, all right, ending on somewhat of a light note there. All right, Amy, that's going to do it for the news this week and bring us to my favorite part of the week. This week in SBC history, Amy, blow our minds. Well, I don't know that I'm going to do anything kind of out of the ordinary this time. I'm going to stick with what a lot of folks are talking yeah. about. and that's This that one's a layup for you this week, Amy. Right, right. This is the 20th anniversary of 9-11, September 11, 2001. Obviously needs no explanation for our listeners, but I thought it would be really good to share some, just some reactions and, uh, and, and what was being covered the, the day after the, in the kind of aftermath of it. So we're going to include a lot of stories in the show notes of just some responses, um, how there are prayers for the nation, you know, in, in uh, churches everywhere. The, there was coverage of that nation crying out in prayer. I think one thing that it would be very interesting for folks to, to read is how many disaster relief workers and NAM staff members went up there, um, said more than 250 disaster relief volunteers had responded within a week preparing nearly 44,000 meals for search and rescue workers and that there were chaplains that had gone up there to provide grief counseling. We took our mobile kitchen units up there. Um, lots of folks doing, doing things. Some in the New York area, a North Carolina unit went up to prepare meals in the South parking lot of the Pentagon. So some of the systems that were in place for disaster relief actually kicked in. And then again, uh, I remember hearing about the NAM staff members going up there because I, I had, I have a friend who worked at NAM during that time and she went up there in the aftermath. So there, there are just a lot of stories that Baptist press did at the time. And then also a really interesting story that came out this week that the ERLC ran mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, last, last week I shared an oral history book that has been done. Well, this is kind of a mini oral history from some of our leaders with uh, an interview essentially with Richard land, James Merritt and Jerry Rankin. So Richard land was the president of the ERLC in 2001, James Merritt was the president of the SBC at that time. And then Jerry Rankin was president of the International Mission Board. And so there's a, a great sort of oral history article, Jill Wagner interviewing them and asking them things like, where were they when they heard the news? How did it affect uh, their role at the time? How they should, you know, how we should look back 20 years later at it. And so I think it's a time for reflecting for all of us. Everybody thinks about where they were. I was talking to Mary this week about that, but I also thought it would be interesting 20 years later to look at where that fell this week in SBC history. And so go check that out. We'll have a lot of links up. To Do you see find that. it weird trying to explain things like that to your kids? Yes, I do. It's been interesting to sort of process that together with them. And this is really the first time that we've had more extensive conversations about it with them, obviously through the years they've known about it, but a lot more about what we were doing. The thing that I tried to explain to Mary is that 
one of the hardest parts about it was that so much happened in, in an hour and a half, Mm -hmm. so many things. And there was so much unknown. And so you had all these emotions happening at once that you were shocked. You were sad. You were angry. You were scared because you didn't know what was going on. Didn't know if planes were still in the air that the brain just could not process it fast enough uh, for all that was happening. And so, you know, we're now looking back in retrospect, but I, I, I tried to kind of capture for her what it was like in real time. And uh, she, she watched the Hulu documentary about mm-hmm. the, the day and learned a lot that she didn't know. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it, it's definitely been a lot of interesting conversations this week. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, I've got younger kids that, that kind of know about it, but they don't really know about right. it. And, right. So, you know, we haven't really talked to them about it, but the high school senior, Ethan, and my middle schooler, Parker, they know a little bit more about it, but still not quite as well-versed as those of us who, you know, obviously lived through it. So, uh, it was just a lot. And, you know, they, they haven't shown too much curiosity toward it. I, I think it's just one of those where it's just such a, a dreadful event that it's kind of like, right. you know, they... You know, well, and know. so much changed for us, but for yeah. them, I mean... I was trying to explain to Mary what it was like to fly before that. And then how, after that, it, it, every, everything changed, everything changed. And it, and also, you know, for a while people were really nervous about flying. It was, it, it, it it was just a, it was a community trauma. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we were all processing this at once, certainly in varying degrees, people who knew someone much more, but everyone was processing this at once. And so it changed so much about kind of the way of life. And that's something that has been an interesting thing to explain because, you know, they were born after that. So nothing had changed for them. So, all right. Yeah. So do check that out. We've also got some links at Baptist press today. We've got a full suite of September 11th kind of retrospective stories. So, uh, you'll be able to check that out over at Baptist Press, the, the new stuff as well as the old stuff. And don't miss that one over at the ERLC. They did a great job on that, too. All right. That's going to bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? New Bible study by Christine Hoover that Ooh. Lifeway has published. Uh, it's nice. an eight-session Bible study. Seek first the kingdom, God's invitation to life and joy in the book of Matthew. Yeah, I, just I was going to say, I bet this. it's on Matthew. That's right. Yes. I just got that this week. So I'm pretty excited to, uh, to dive in. Definitely something that you can do on your own for personal study or as a group. So very, very exciting. And uh, Christine Hoover is a good friend of the pod. She has a podcast of her own that uh, does really well. She's, an, I think, an ERLC trustee. So she's very involved in Southern Baptist life and uh, have a great appreciation for her uh, working with her through the Women's Leadership Network. I'll see her next week. Yes, you will. Because I'll be at the ERLC trustee meeting next week here in Nashville. So that'll be fun. Check that out. So uh, yeah, do follow along. I forgot about that. That's coming up next week. So we should get an update from the Presidential Search Committee from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. So uh, be tracking us online next week for that. All right. My resource of the week, uh, the best days, Amy, I tweeted this out. The best days are mail days from Jared Wilson. Love me anyway. The new book from Jared Wilson landed in my inbox at the office this week, 
And I'm excited to dive into this one. Haven't cracked it yet, but will soon. I'll see Jared in just a few weeks up at the for the church conference at the Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary campus in Kansas City. Jared's on staff up there in Midwestern, and I uh, can't wait to be up there with our friends from Midwestern. But uh, Jared's new book, Love Me Anyway, just dropped. It's about God's perfect love and how it fills our deepest longing. So I haven't cracked into it yet, but everything from Jared Wilson, I've said this on the podcast before, I read everything that he's written. He is my favorite author. So I can't wait to crack into this one. So it was really exciting to get that in the mail this week. Very cool. So that's going to do it for our show this week. Reminder, this week is Baptism Sunday in the SBC. we got a lot of churches participating in Baptism Sunday. My church is, your church is too, Amy. And uh, I, I think the last I heard from Todd Unzicker, the state convention executive director in North Carolina, you guys are almost up to like 700 churches participating in Baptism Sunday. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, uh, the numbers we're going to see, and and again, right. not about the numbers; it's about the life change. But the numbers are indicative of that. So, uh, really exciting to see churches all across the SBC, not just in North Carolina, but all across the SBC participating in Baptism Sunday. Going to have a full suite of recap stories on Monday as well. We've been talking about it leading up to it this week. So, uh, if your church is celebrating Baptism Sunday, shoot us a picture. Uh, hashtag fill the tank on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that. So uh, be sure to get some pictures, get that online so we can see the uh, the celebration of the life-changing power of the gospel and the lives of men and women around the country. All right. Yep. We are very excited and a lot of excitement in the state of North Carolina. So if you are participating, show us, let us see. Yeah, let us see. All right, Amy, I'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>